Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children, stop walking on eggshells, and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you want to know the answer, you're in the right place. Hello, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching. And on today's show, we're going to talk all about how the behavior charts that you're using for your sensitive child or teen to include reward charts, sticker charts, allowances, chore wheels, all of the above, uh, prize baskets, etc., are contributing to the daily meltdown cycle. If your child or teen is having meltdowns on a daily basis, hitting, kicking, screaming, or your teen is running into their room and shutting down and, and tuning you out, then stick around because if you're using any sort of uh, external rewards to support them in changing their behavior, we're going to break down why that isn't working for you. Okay, so first and f- first things first, I want to make sure that we're covering uh, what we're talking about here. If your child is dealing with these big behaviors that I spoke about, uh, hitting, kicking, screaming, body on the floor, you're, you're struggling to get out the door, they're refusing to wear multiple items at any, any of their um, outfits in, in their wardrobe, they'll, they'll uh, tell you that they'll only go to school if they get to wear these certain kinds of uh, pants, they won't wear their new shoes, anything, anything in, in, um, in that realm. And you find yourself speaking with a professional, maybe a pediatrician or a therapist or a teacher. And that professional has recommended or you've read all kinds of parenting books and you've seen over and over again a recommendation that your child should be rewarded for their behavior with a sticker or um, any sort of prize, a a checkbox, anything like that, make sure that you're sticking around because you are creating a bigger problem than you're trying to solve. And I'm saying that uh, with, with definitive certainty here because I've seen it play out for over a decade. So those of you who are just tuning in, I've been working with parents of highly sensitive kids, working directly with highly sensitive kids and teens for over a decade as a therapist, and you're hearing me through our coaching company here and myself and our team of experts collectively have many, many years. uh, Everybody on our team has a a decade worth of experience in their selective specialty or or more. And uh, our specialty here is eliminating that meltdown shutdown cycle for sensitive kids and and teens. And so when we speak about this, we've helped over 200 families in our kid program and the coaching business alone, uh, as well as in the private practice, we help anywhere between 100 to 200 families every year. Um, 
and that's for the mental health work that we do. But in terms of parent coaching and the, the, the teen work that we do and the kid work that we do, we've helped hundreds of families so far. So hopefully that helps you notice how we've been able to break out of the cycle for many, many people. And that's why we know what we're, we're talking about here, right? So let's break it down. Now you might've heard or thought that your child could benefit from noticing that if they achieve a certain goal, like get ready on time, or uh, be ready to, to um, you know, get themselves dressed or, or finish all of the dinner on their plate or do their homework consistently without a giant fight. Um, that if, if you could give your child a reward to see that they are tangibly achieving this goal with a picture and a check mark or a sticker, then that will help them achieve something that they want. So um, this might seem logical. You know, you likely have had or do have a job where you are paid money to go buy things that you want or need, right? So what's the big deal? What's the big deal of using a reward chart or behavior chart to help your child change their behavior or your teen? Same thing if there's an allowance tied to this or um, use of the car tied to them completing their homework, etc. All of these things are uh, irrelevant rewards and uh, tied to specific behavior that you need to see from your child in order to keep a calm and peaceful home. And if you're stuck in the meltdown cycle, even if your kid is no longer melting down about that behavior that you're marking on the chart, you need to make sure that you're listening in because you're adding to the problem. We're gonna talk all about this, okay? So when you're stuck in the meltdown cycle, there are many, many factors to this puzzle that need to be put together specifically and, and strategically. And uh, it it's, it's, goes against common parenting advice. And um, it's really important to understand that there is a, um, a non-traditional approach that we take here at MTC, and that's for a very good reason. Now, highly sensitive kids experience big emotions. We know that to be true, right? That's why you're listening in. Their emotions are big and deep, and they think about things um, very thoroughly and they can be emotionally reactive, whether that be through empathy and compassion and, and feeling positive emotions very intensely or negative emotions. If that's if you're stuck in the meltdown cycle, that might mean that, that their big negative emotions are leading to just saying things like they wish uh, they weren't alive or you would be better off without them or that no one will ever play with them ever again. And this is a daily occurrence, how your child thinks in the worst case scenario and shares their emotions in the worst case scenario setting. And so if this is the case, then that is a symptom of the meltdown cycle. Now, um, when, when you're stuck in this cycle, it's really important to pay attention to how typical parenting strategies or traditional parenting strategies are, are making the problem worse. So let's talk about this, right? When you are helping your child learn to feel capable of solving their problems creatively, you cannot use an external thing, something outside of themselves, to motivate them. Why? Right? Well, let's break this down, okay? An external thing, like a sticker. Hey, if you do this thing, you'll get a sticker, right? So that's something outside of your child's being, body, and sense of self, their, their belief about what they're capable of. And you're, if you're using that to, to help them stay motivated, you're not teaching your child how to motivate themselves. 
And when we have a sensitive child or teen who is stuck in this intensity, stuck in this cycle of melt melting down and shutting down multiple times a week, daily, even multiple times a day, like many of the parents that we work with, then your child is already dealing with a very large problem with self-confidence and self-esteem. Your child already feels quite incapable. Now, it's, it's very important to, to understand that because when you're trying to help your child feel more capable, you can't use something outside of themselves to tell them that they're capable because when that thing goes away, you know, if they don't achieve their, their marked goal, like, uh, you know, let's break it down. Say, for example, you're, you're trying to help your child uh, stay at the dinner table and complete their, their meal or um, finish their homework, start, initiate, start their homework and finish their homework without major uh, meltdown, refusal, complaining, woe is me, hopelessness, I can't do it avoidance, anything like that, right? Let's stick with the homework example. It's probably easier for us to, to, to be clear on, okay? Trying to get your kid to do their homework on their own. Not to say that they can't come to you for, for questions, but to just get the thing started, <laughs> right? To accept the fact that it needs to be done, right? Work hard. This is likely a value of yours as a family, that your child values hard work. Okay, so great right? I myself is a harm, am, a, am a hard worker. I started my first job at age 12. It is very important for me and a huge value that we, that we, that we work hard, we provide a lot, that we put forth a lot of effort um, for my family. So I know exactly what that's like. And you know, we work with, with a lot of type A perfectionist problem solver, fix it people in, um, in, our, in our programs because, you know, our, one of our programs for the, the program for kids called boot camp. People don't sign up for a program called boot camp if they're not uh, problem um, and uh, problem solving oriented, right? So obviously we know, we know what it's like to be a problem solver, to, to, to want to fix, fix issues, right? So you value hard work. You know that this uh, parenting thing isn't supposed to be a breeze and it doesn't need to be this hard, right? So how do you get your kid to support themselves in feeling not only like they can do it, but also that they should do it, that it's necessary, that it is part of life and, and accepting that fact, right? So let's talk about this. First things first, if you are using a reward like a sticker uh, a tracking system that, that lets them earn something at the end of the, the week or the month or whatever, then you're teaching your child that something else controls their life. I'm going broad here and, 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 and laying this down just like it is uh, because that's what it is. A carrot, right? We're dog training here. A carrot and a, um, a, a treat is their highest desire, right? And, um, and if that's something that your child values, like a trip to, I don't know, um, a trip to Target to get their favorite toy or um, some money on Amazon or a trip to an amusement park or whatever, whatever, you, whatever it is that the light at the end of the tunnel, right? The thing about that is for, for kids is that they, don't have it yet. <laughs> they don't have the thing. And so when, when you're trying to teach your child to stay motivated to get a thing, what they're not seeing 
is their sense of capability. They're not receiving any feedback on their sense of capability to get the thing. And um, that's number one, because you're using a thing to motivate your kid's behavior. It's, what's also important is that your child doesn't see themselves as inherently capable, uh, as a capable human. Instead, you're teaching your child to be capable if there's a good enough thing at the end of the tunnel, right? But here's the, th here's the rub with that. When, when relationships are hard, when school is hard, when they get a bad grade, when you have a teenager who is starting to do work but they don't get paid right away, um, or their boss is, is picking favorites, your child will still need to persist through challenges enough to get the reward. And if they're not motivated to persist through challenges because those rewards aren't coming fast enough or the reward isn't big enough, then we have a big problem on our hands. And that's a sense of noticing that your kid doesn't feel capable unless the reward is easy to get. And so if you're using that plan, that logic, to show your child that when you work hard, you get, you know, you reap rewards, what it it, 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 you lose out in the lesson that hard work is rewarding in and of itself. And that part is where your child feels fulfilled, feels capable, right? Because we're not just asking for you to, and you don't want to just raise your kid just to make a lot of money, right? Financial security, obviously, is, a, I can imagine, a goal of you for your children that they are financially secure, they're making safe financial decisions, um, maybe risky financial decisions with a higher reward and safe financial decisions, right? Whatever financial values you have for your kids. And it's also true that you don't want your kids to only be motivated by financial success. Success is a well-rounded experience when you're focused on emotional health and relationship health and physical health and financial health. And so when we tie hard work to rewards, what you're doing is you're breeding greed. You're breeding for your child that they need to get in or, and, and to work in order to get. And sometimes when you work, you don't get, <laughs> you don't get a, an immediate reward, a, a thing in your hand, right? Um, sometimes the reward you get is seeing a smile on somebody else's face. What's that? That's empathy, being rewarded by empathy. Now, your child who's highly sensitive already experiences empathy. Unfortunately, if they're stuck in the meltdown cycle, they don't know what to do with that empathy. It's overwhelming. It's difficult to notice. It's difficult to organize and categorize. So that empathy already carries a major weight. And if they can't see that empathy as a rewarding gift because you're clouding their, their view of what gifts are, through reward charts, then you're contributing to the pattern of feeling like your kid only cares about themselves, especially if their big emotions impact siblings, impact you in the household, right? I mean, if their big behaviors are, are tied to those big emotions. If you're in the meltdown cycle you might, and you're getting hit, it's a no-brainer to think right after that, ah, does my kid even care? Like, ouch, right? And so when, when you're stuck in this pattern, it's really important to understand for you as a parent, what strategies are you using that are keeping you stuck? Okay, so that's, it, it's super, super important to understand. 
right? You know, so, so, so what now, right? If you're already using rewards, you might be saying, well, you know, my kid likes the rewards. Yeah, kids like sugar too. <laughs> but does that mean that you feed your kid Wegmans chocolate cake every night? I mean, it's delicious. Don't get me wrong. It's my favorite cake in the world. <laughs> but no, you don't, right? Why? Because they'll be hopped up on sugar because there are after effects to that. Okay, so same thing. Sure, your kid will be disappointed if you remove the reward chart. And that's the challenge. That's the challenge you have is that your child can't manage their disappointment or you as a parent don't have the skills to help your child learn to manage their disappointment. That's a bigger problem than the fact that they can't do their homework on a regular basis without a reward attached to it. So I really wanna make sure that we're shifting an, a, an idea uh, that the priority needs to be in doing the work. The priority needs to be on feeling like the work is rewarding feeling like the work in and of itself has a purpose that you're contributing to the world that you're contributing to yourself now homework might not be the best <laughs> example um for you for you as a parent to think that uh, your kid's contributing to the world if they're doing a whole bunch of busy work you know the homework is relative in that perspective but we're talking about doing things like do, contributing to the family by making sure everybody's on time by doing your part getting all your um you know, your ducks in the row in, in the morning, getting yourself dressed so that mama can get herself dressed so that mama can help the toddler get him dressed, right? If your eight-year-old is uh, the one who needs the most, but you've got a two-year-old who you're just trying to like shove a, a t-shirt around his neck because your eight-year-old is not getting, getting the show on the road, right? So this is what we're talking about here. Your sensitive child might be the oldest, but might need the most support completing this task if they're stuck in the meltdown cycle. And that in and of itself breeds not only frustration, but resentment for you as a parent. And uh, behind or, or underneath or intertwined with that is guilt. Crap, how did I get here? So here's one, one thing that we need to make sure that you are removing from your parent parenting repertoire. Rewards do not build effective behavior. They keep you stuck. So let's think about this, right? We really need to, to understand that when you're trying to teach your child to persist no matter the outcome, you can't use rewards as an outcome. Uh, that, that it has, you know, that's guaranteed based on a certain result. Um, because that's si simply not the way that the world works. We don't always get rewards for our hard work. And for, for your sensitive child, here's why this backfires even more. Okay, so this is mainly what I was speaking, what I've been speaking about specifically has been um, principles for all children. Many, many things that, that many parents um, that we work with observe that what we do, what we teach here at MTC for, for shifting out of the meltdown shutdown cycle is imperative for sensitive kids, but it applies to all children. So um, when, you, when you shift your parenting strategy, you address it from a family dynamic issue. And as a result, it reduces the shame and the scapegoating that can happen when you're super focused on the fact that your sensitive kid has the biggest behaviors in the home um, and and that contributes to the shame factor of feeling like they are the crappiest kid in the house if you've got multiple kids and your child's perception is super important to shift right because highly sensitive kids are more prone to shame 
when they aren't doing what they are supposed to do because they're more observant about of other people and they're more observant about what they're supposed to do. Now, whether or not they tell you that they're observant is neither here nor there. It is fact. The research goes on and on and on for decades uh, about sensitive people and the fact that they are more observant of their environments. And if you're highly sensitive as an adult yourself, you're, you're nodding here with me. Yes, I notice all the things. <laughs> but if you're not highly sensitive, you got to just take my word for it. I've been doing this for over a decade. Like that's a that's just simply not something that we're going to um, argue with. And so with that being said, if your child is observant and not able to take that observation and categorize it and file it away to use it, that's a different story. That means your child is overwhelmed and your child cannot generalize their skill. Use their skill in all sorts of, of environments, right? So observation is a skill. Observing small differences, observing the big picture is a skill that all highly sensitive people have. It's part of the temperament trait. And if you can't, uh, sorry, there's, it's, a, it's a component of the trait, but if you can't use that component as a skill, there's a category problem. Your child is not able to take that information and categorize it, file it away, and use it effect as, as, as information that's useful. Instead, it just sits in your kid's brain and it's like, <laughs> this is just more information for me to hold. Um, and, and so that's a skill that your kid can build. We, we, we help our clients do that all the time. And so when we help our clients do this, we see parents say all the time, oh my gosh, my kid picked up on this detail that like, I never knew they, that they were, you know, children will share um, so many of their, more of their observations and parents will be astonished. I didn't even realize that my kid was, was picking up these signals or hearing conversations from across the room or, or understanding um, where, you know, their father and I were, were frustrated and stuck or, or even learned um, that, you know, teacher uh, was, was struggling with a certain kid. I didn't even know that they were aware of these things because they were so overwhelmed that they weren't able to communicate that. So it's just a factor that was just f like um, unfiled in their brain. And then once children start to, to regulate their emotions effectively, their brain starts to feel more integrated, more capable, right? When your brain starts to feel more capable, you can share what's going on in your own brain. <laughs> and so we see this, you know, parents are, are, are speaking frequently about how their, their kids' thoughts, thought process astonishes them and um, is, is quite surprising. They don't really notice or, or they're just not able to see. You know, we talk a lot about um, being able to unlock your kid, um, really being able to meet your kid for the first time when your child is so closed up from their big emotions um, or so loose in big explosions that you don't know how to organize your, your own assumptions of your kid um, as well. And so that's not your true child. Your child is not showing up in their true self if they're struggling like this with such big emotions and big behaviors. And, and, and so um, once your child's able to organize their experiences enough to, um, enough to use their, their sensitivities as superpowers and just powers, <laughs> just regular old um, skills, we, it's, the phrase I use is that they're able to generalize that skill. That means that they're able to use that skill in multiple avenues. They're able to do, use that observation skill in school, in the community, with friends at a park, uh, at home, um, when playing with family, when uh, conversing with family, or um, just chatting at the dinner table, or when doing chores. 
and, and, and so generalizing a skill means you can use the skill in multiple avenues of your life. Uh, it becomes general to your personality. So uh, when, when we focus on this, it's really important to understand that, that many parents try to use rewards to build self-esteem. But what you're doing instead is uh, you're creating an addictive quality. Um, I do a thing, I get a reward. I do a thing, I get a reward. And when that addictive relationship is created, associated with work, your child gets even more disappointed when their work while hard for them in that day, that moment, didn't get to the reward. Maybe they got the answers wrong on their homework. Maybe they didn't make it out the door on time and you, and you have um, a time associated with, uh, with the reward for, for the reward chart. Um, uh, maybe they didn't start their homework and it took them 30 minutes to, to get rocking with it. And uh, so as a result, you know, your target for them is that they, they do it right away or they do it within 10 minutes of, of being prompted to do so. Um, and since it took them 30 minutes, they didn't earn anything. And what happens is that you create a vacuum uh, because when your child does earn a reward, you're tapping into dopamine, which is a, a neurotransmitter. It's a chemical messenger in the brain that sends to your, to your child's brain uh, a pleasure signal. Life is thrilling. This is exciting, right? This is why we say, hey, my kid's motivated. My kid really likes this thing. Maybe they'll do the work in order to get this thing. I don't know. Credits on the video game, right? Like it doesn't matter whatever it is you're using for the reward. Okay, sure, that's true. Your child does experience pleasure from receiving gifts or rewards. And we don't wanna tie behavior to that because what happens is you start um, tapping into the brain in a way that is ineffective. Your child starts to only seek that chemical intensity in the brain and is extra, um, extra disappointed when they don't receive it. So why is that a problem? Dopamine is the same neurotransmitter, the same chemical messenger in the brain that is triggered by crack cocaine. So crack cocaine is bad, <laughs> right? Like we can, I think we can all um, definitively say that if our kid was addicted to crack, we would be really, really upset and worried and concerned, right? And so, um, there's a reason why crack cocaine is, is so addictive. Uh, cocaine is the same thing, but crack cocaine is worse. And so uh, in terms of how the intensity of the brain's response to that drug. And so when we think about the, the challenge that you're experiencing, you might be doing um, less, uh, I'm gonna use the word damage, uh, to your child's brain when you're using rewards to, to tie to a behavior than crack cocaine will, obviously, because that's a really intense um, chemical experience in the brain. And it's also true that it's the same, right? So think about the difference between feeding your kid a, a slice of, uh, like two slices of cake every night um, and, and that having a certain amount of sugar, right? And then the, the difference between that and your kid eating like five cakes every night. So obviously eating five cakes is worse than two slices of cake every night. And it's also true that two slices of cake every night is a lot of sugar for a kid to consume. So um, as much as I'm not a, a dietitian or a nutritionist, it, we all can as assume um, that that's a lot of cake, right? 
And so when you think about the uh, difference of, of giving your kids rewards and using that as a motivator for behavior, um, it's easy to justify that you're not giving your kid crack cocaine and being like, oh, well, it's not that bad, right? But w wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute, right? Where are your, where are your expectations for, your, for yourself as a parent? Um, I know you have high expectations because you're dealing with the meltdown cycle and you're trying to get out of it, right? So, um, so just because it worked, uh, quote unquote, worked for you, um, if your kids, if your parents use rewards or allowances, doesn't mean that the research has demonstrated consistently over time that it actually is counterproductive. Why? Why? Because it teaches your child to dull their own experiences and to value the uh, receipt, receiving, um, of s something outside of themselves over their own experience, right? So when you put this, this big reward, for your, for now again, for you it's a sticker, but for your kid, it's a prize, ta-da! Like they are thrilled by it, okay? So, so make sure that you're looking at it from your kid's point of view, not yours. So for you, it might be, oh, it's not a big of a deal. My kid, you know, this is working. Megan, why are you telling me to stop it? I don't wanna hear that. Tell me how to break out of the meltdown cycle without getting rid of these behavior charts. Sorry, not gonna happen. Um, so we were talking about your child receiving a thing, right? Getting, getting that, that reward for, for, for quote unquote good behavior, for quote unquote um, hard work to provide the good behavior. There's a, an, a challenge in that perspective though that you're, you're missing here. And uh, one of those challenges is the fact that your child might be having a really rough day and they might not feel capable um, of putting forth that effort because they know it's going to, they know it's going to push them harder, so hard past their own limits. So say for example, your kid has, um, we'll go back to the homework example. Your kid is exhausted. They had a really rough day at school. Maybe they were teased or they watched some other kid get teased and that was really intensely stressful. And then they come home and they just need a mental health day. They just need a break, right? So they're trying to tell you that, but they're, they're not skillful. Your kid doesn't have these skills to manage the, that communication style effectively. So they're doing it by saying, I can't, right? I've had too many things on my plate. And, and, and so as a result, it turns into a meltdown. Now, if you've got a reward that, um, that your child knows they're gonna lose, they might actually try not to melt down but not because they're being skillful, not because they know how to, how, to, how to decrease that intensity of that emotion or to tell you what's really going on. They've had a really rough day. Um, but because the reward is so valuable to them that they are willing to ignore their own experiences in order to receive that reward. What happens is people-pleasing workaholism after that. I am going to do whatever it takes to make other people happy with me so that I get my reward and it doesn't matter how I feel. Highly sensitive kids need to know that how they feel is a-okay. How they're behaving, what their behavior looks like and, and their challenges that they're having, that part obviously needs to change if you're in the meltdown cycle. So those two things are separate. But sensitive kids feel different from non-highly sensitive kids. 15 to 20% of the population, highly sensitive people are, right? So obviously they feel different because there's 80% of the population who's not sensitive. So 
that's okay that they feel different. But if they don't think that that's okay, if your kid doesn't think that's okay, if they think that that's a weakness, that they're wrong, there's something bad, they're broken with them, right? Then they will stay miserable. And no one was put on this earth to stay miserable. They will stop thinking that there's that misery is um, unusual and not supposed to be felt. And they will start to normalize misery and stuff it. And what happens when you stuff a can um, too full, it explodes, right? Um, so your, your child is, is feeding their own volcano here. So this is really important because when your child is, when you're trying to use rewards, teach your child that they're doing a good job, what you think you're doing is teaching your child that they are a good person, building self-esteem, right? But self-esteem is the belief that you're a good person. Now, if we just talked about the fact that your kid doesn't think that they are good or okay because their feelings are different from other people, and then you're teaching them to ignore their feelings to, to behave, um, and to demonstrate good behavior or, or desirable behavior, no matter what, because this reward is so big, you better ignore anything else. Then your child's not going to build a belief that they are, they are a good person, that they can do well in the world. They'll start to ignore their quality of self. Um, and that perpetuates shame, feeling like you're a bad person. That's what shame is. And so the next thing is, is you know, we spoke about earlier, self-confidence. Can I do it? Right? And um, children learn to override their sense of I can or I can't in order to achieve a thing. And this is where workaholism end up with, you know, a worst case scenario, heart, heart attacks and, and just um, overly extended. But um, best case scenario, a workaholic ignores their family and or is rude to their family or doesn't have a family, right? On the other end of that spectrum, though, um, is somebody who, who falls completely off the, the the pendulum and just stops trying, right? What's in it for me doesn't really matter. I'll never achieve it anyways. And this is that perfectionism that leads to analysis paralysis, which is I don't know how to get it right the first time, so I'm just not even going to try. I'm frozen here. Um, and that can be either I'm frozen, I can't make a choice, or I'm frozen, I might as well not even try. That's depressive symptoms that we see in sensitive kids, sensitive teens. So it's really important to understand that the, that the the, the, the slippery slope that you're on if you, if you keep going with behavior charts. So what do you do? You gotta focus on breaking down that shame. You gotta focus on not using interventions, not using plans as a parent that keeps shame in the game. You have to break it down. Uh, help to teach your child that they are a-okay being a sensitive person. You have to teach them that sensitivity can be a strength, uh, but only if they build skills. And you have to acknowledge that you are an awesome parent and your child's an awesome kid too. There's nothing wrong with either of you. You're not broken. All you're doing is missing those skills. And so when we teach parents what those skills are in a strategic order and you follow that strategic plan, then your child feels capable. When your child feels capable, they soar. They just go above and beyond the curve. Now, this is also true in and demonstrated in research. We talk about this from the concept of vantage sensitivity. When your child has a, um, you can look it up, that concept, uh, when your child has a better vantage point um, and they're more sensitive to it, they actually uh, perform ahead of the curve. 
So when your child learns to stop ignoring their emotions, to start validating themselves, start feeling a-okay as who they are and that their behavior is only a part of them and, and that can change, uh, then your child ends up feeling way more capable of changing that behavior. And so if this is the challenge that you're, you're stuck in achieving, right? What, 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 is the, what is the payoff of breaking out of this pattern? One, no more sneakiness. Your kids stop stuffing their behavior, they stop cheating the around skirting around or negotiating to get the prize because again what does an addict do they try to get what they what they want right and, and there's a there's an intensity there that a child can't help um and and the that can be fostered consistently um and so you need to break that pattern stop using the rewards uh, to target the behavior the next thing is being able to notice that your child can can inherently want to do well. Children want to do well just because they know that they feel good inside. And so if your child doesn't feel good inside, then that's where the rub is, not in um, not in whether or not they have a, um, a fancy enough prize at the end of the tunnel. So when your child feels more motivated, they already feel more capable that already feeds their self-confidence tank and they are more persistent. Persistent children have higher levels of self-confidence. Persistent children believe that they are good and, um, and when children believe that and notice that that's possible, then they uh, have higher self-esteem, they engage in communication to get their needs met if they're not met, and uh, they do that with skills, and they're more receptive that skills will actually work. Uh, so they stop feeling hopeless and helpless. And uh, when that's the case, then your child starts to believe that things will work out well for them. And then that is a different cycle. It just feeds itself. If your child believes that things will work out well for them, then they're gonna do things that help that they're going to stay working um, hard. And, and, and I used hard work to, that might be relate, related to, to homework or whatever, but it's also related to play. You know, work for children, play is, is work for children. And so you'll see this behavior perpetuate in their play as well, um, whether that be in, in board games with a family at home, um, just persisting through digging with a stick and the stick breaking and going to find another stick, you know, all sorts of, of qualities associated with that persistence uh, that is perpetuated when you stop using rewards. All right, so if you're struggling with figuring out how, right, you, st you started using reward charts, you notice that they're backfiring, but you've tried other things before and you don't know how to get out of this and you are done throwing strategies at the wall to see what sticks, then I encourage you to book a call because we have a system that works consistently for all of the families that do that work. We have a 98.9% .9 success rate for a reason. When you do the work that we teach you, it actually works. So great news. All you need to do is have a phone call with us to see if your family fits in that category. And uh, on that phone call, we'll talk about where you're stuck, what you've already tried, and where you might need to go next. And, and if your goals line up with the, the outcomes that we provide for our, with, with our clients and what we help our clients achieve, then we tell you exactly what you need to do to, to, to go ahead and, and take that next step with us. Otherwise, we send you on your, your way with a, with a plan, resources, connections, or um, 
or, or learnings to do uh, associated with your particular family's needs. So uh, I'm not going to make a guarantee that what we do is going to work for your particular family. We have to have a conversation before we can, we can say that that would be relevant. So again, go to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash talk or meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash teen talk uh, if you have a if you're a parent of a high school age or older, and we'll have a conversation and, and break down what your next steps need to be after we, we cover where, where you've been, <laughs> what you've been up to. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we look forward to talking to you soon. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of how to parent your highly sensitive child like a ninja. We release a brand new episode every week. So be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen, what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson, and we look forward to speaking to you soon.